Amen. All right, while they receive the offering, why don't you guys go ahead and get out your Bibles. You all know the drill. If you've been around, pull out your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 9 this morning. If you did not bring a Bible, you're going to want a Bible. There's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. You can reach down. You can pull that out. John 9. In the blue Bible, John 9 is on page 992. 992. John chapter 9. That might throw a few of you off this morning. John 9, we've been in John chapter 1 for the past uh, three weeks as we've been walking through Advent, right? Each week of Advent, we have been uh, progressively unpacking this idea of the light of the world, the light of the world, right? And John chapter 1 uh, begins, John chapter 1, verse 1, um, the word, right, in the beginning, at the beginning of all things, before there, was, before there was any form of substance at all, there was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1, we unpacked that a few weeks ago. This idea that Christ, Jesus, existed before all things. John goes on to say that all things that were created were created in Him. Everything was created through Christ, and it was created for Christ. He is the beginning of all things and the sustainer of all things. This, this infant, this child, this baby that we celebrate is the creator of all things. John goes on in verse 9. It says, the light that gives light, life to everyone was coming into the world. Right? He, is the, he is the light of the world. The light was the life of men. This, this supernatural light. So not only did he not only did he create all things physically, all matter, not, not only did he create us biologically and shape and form and mold all things that we can see and touch and feel, but even a supernatural source of, of, of life, the spiritual life, right? Not physical life, but a spiritual life. All satisfaction and joy and security and delight. He is the source of all of those things. And then last week, Binger unpacked this idea from verse 14. As the Word, this eternal one, Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to dwell with us. The one who created all things stepped into his own creation came to dwell with you and to dwell with me. And really, we've been unpacking this, these deep theological truths from John chapter 1. This morning, I want us to get more practical. I, I want us to say, okay, who cares? Wh where is this light now? Where is the light of the world now? What is the light of the world doing now? Where do we find the light of the world now? If our friends and our family members who do not know Jesus, or maybe some of you here this morning who do not know Jesus, if you're going to find the light of the world, where are you going to find it? Where is it? Where is this joy of Christmas, this Christmas cheer? Where is that? I'm going to make the case this morning that it's not where Buddy the Elf says it is. For those of you who have been around Flourishing Grace, you know that Binger, uh, one of his favorite Christmas movies is Elf. And Buddy says that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. We tried that here once at our partner's gathering, and Randy Noyes proved that that's not true. It's not, it's not true. It did not, did not prove to be an accurate statement. I believe that there's a place where we can actually find the light of the world where your friends and your neighbors and your family members can find the light that is the life of men. 
There's a source for that. That source is findable and knowable and engageable. And so if you would with me, if you'd stand as I read the word for us this morning, if you're able to stand. Here at Flourishing Grace, we stand in honor and reverence of the word of God. And I'm going to read from John chapter 9, verse 1 through 7 for us this morning. This is Jesus and his disciples. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And as his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloma, Siloa, which means scent. So he went and he washed, and he came back seeing. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Jesus and his disciples are walking down the street, and they see a man, presumably someone sitting there begging for for change, for food, for help, um, and he's been blind from birth. He was born blind. There's never been a moment in his life that he's been able to see He's always been blind. He's never seen anything, just, just darkness, nothing. And the disciples ask Jesus a question. That would have been a common question for debate in that day. You see, there was a general assumption in first century Israel that if, if you were born with a malformity or really any form of, of illness, physical illness, was linked to a specific sin, right? If you come down with an illness, it's because you sin. But when someone's born with an, with an ailment, such as blindness or, or whatever it may be, who sinned? Now, some would have said that, well, it's a future sin, that this, this child someday in their life is going to commit a future sin, and they're being punished now in birth for that. Others would have said, no, 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 it's their parents. Their parents sinned, and as a result, their child is born with this ailment. And so the disciples asked Jesus, which one is it? Give us the answer to this kind of popular question in our day. And Jesus says, you guys are idiots. It's neither one of those things, right? Neither one of those things makes sense. It doesn't make sense. If you think about it for a moment, neither one of those things makes sense. It's not the child that's one day going to sin. It's not the parent's sin, right? Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that every child born ever would have some sort of crazy malformity. It would be born blind. We'd all be blind or worse or something, right? So it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Jesus says, no, 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 it's not the parents. It's, it's not the child. And then he goes on to say something beautiful. He says he was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He was born blind so that others might see. He was born blind so that others might see the beauty and the power and the majesty and the wonder of God. 
That's why he was born blind. And then the next two verses, which we're going to come back to, we're going to unpack verse 4 and verse 5. Jesus inserts um, a, a pretty significant teaching. He tells his disciples, he says, we must work the works of God. We must work the works of God while it is still day. Night is coming when no one will work. And then he goes on in verse 5 and he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Yeah. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then he spits on the ground in the dust, and he uses his spit to form a mud or a clay, and he anoints the man's eyes, and he goes him to go wash in the pool of Saloma, which means sent, the pool of the sent, those who have been sent away, sent on mission, sent to go do something, the pool of the sent. And he goes and he washes, and he comes back, and he can see he can now, his eyes can now lay hold of the one who has given him sight, the Savior, Emmanuel. He can now see Christ, and he can see the world. He can see his, his parents. He can see his friends. He can see all things now. He now has sight. It's been given to him. But what's confusing in this text is what does Jesus mean when he says, well, we must work. We must work the works of him who sent me. Right? What does that mean? If we're a follower of Christ here in the room this morning, what Jesus is saying is that there's something for us to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, we must, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me, right? Because, because right now it's day, night is coming, night is coming when no one will work that particular work. That work will exist, will no longer exist, what Jesus is saying simply is this. There is a specific type of work that God has for us to engage in, and that work is finite. It's temporary. He's not talking about a literal day and night. He's saying, he's saying that there's a season of time in which we have to do this work, and then it's going to be over. There will be no time left to engage in this work. We must engage in this work now. If you are a follower of Jesus, you must take this seriously because the God of all things, our Savior and our King, our Creator, says we must engage in this. Augustine, the great theologian in the 300s, writes it this way. It'll be up here on the screen for you. It says, there is a time for working and another time for receiving. For the Lord shall render to everyone according to his Works. He says, man, there's a, there's, a, there's a reward for this. You're going to get paid back for this. You're going to get paid back for this particular type of work. In fact, Jesus teaches a myriad of parables on this idea that this particular type of work there is a reward for. Right? There's no reward in heaven for reading your Bible and praying and staying out of trouble. Right? Those are good things. You should, you should do that. But there is a reward for this work. There is a reward for this type of work. Augustine goes on, he says, while you live, do something if you are to be doing anything at all. If you're going to do something, this is the one to do. This is the work that you should engage in. It's more purposeful, it's more meaningful than any other work. For then, that appalling night shall come to envelop the wicked in its folds. But even now, every unbeliever, when he dies, is received within that night. There is no work to be done there. Augustine says the same thing as Christ says. There, this is a limited time. Night is coming. 
The moment is coming when, when this work will cease. That appalling night will come. What is this work? What is the work that we are to be doing? What is this work that God has given us to do? Well, the disciples asked Jesus this a couple chapters earlier. In chapter, 20, in chapter 6, verse 28 and 29, they said this. It'll be up on the screen for you. They said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of God is the work of the gospel. The work of God is the work of uh, regeneration and renewal. It's giving back life to those whom he originally gave life to. It's, it's breathing life and light into the darkness. The work of the gospel, believing on Christ for the, for the mercy of God, that God has extended us grace in his son, that God has given us this life, this work of, of Christ on the cross, that Christ has, Christ has died for us in our place. He has removed the sin and the wrath of God, and he has borne that in him on himself on the cross and extended to us his own righteousness. And so believing in that and extending that to others is the work of God. And this work of God has a finite amount of time in which it, which, in which it can work. This work does not exist in heaven. There is work in heaven. We will work. I know it's bad news for some of you. You're like, wait a second. I thought heaven was like, lounging on clouds and watching football all day. What do you mean there's work in heaven? There is work in heaven. We are going to work. In fact, in a few months in the spring, we're going to preach a whole sermon series here at Flourishing Grace on heaven. And we're going to talk about the work that will be done in heaven, this life-giving, joyful work. Um, but this work, the work that Christ is talking about in John 9, will not exist there because there will be no faith there. Faith will be sight. We'll see. There will no longer be any doubt or any need for faith because we will know with certainty who Christ is. We will be as near to him as we could possibly be to anyone ever. We will know him in an intimate way. And for those, for those who are not engaged in this, for those who do not receive this work, that appalling darkness will come. This morning, I want to make the case that Jesus wants to do something amazing in your life, and he wants to do something amazing with your life. Jesus wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to engage in you in an amazing way, but he also wants to do something with your life. You are purposed for far more than, than whatever it is that you may be doing with your life. There's a greater work to be done, and he wants to use you and engage you in that way. Ambrose of Milan, in the early 200s, he was actually one of the teachers of Augustine, who we read from earlier. Ambrose says it this way. He says, you too should come to Siloma, that is, to him who was sent by the Father. As he says in the gospel, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. And he says this, and I, I love the beauty of this. Let Christ wash you, and you will then see. Come be baptized. It is time. Come quickly. And you too will be able to say, I went and I washed. And you too will be able to say, I was blind and now I see. 
And as the blind man said when his eyes began to receive the light, you too can say, the night is almost over and the day is at hand. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, this is what Christ is saying to you. I want to do an amazing work in your life. I want to wash you of all despair, of all hopelessness, of all failure, of all shortcoming. I want to wash you, and I, and I want to give you sight. I, I want to give you the ability to see things that you've never seen before. In a supernatural way, I want to give you life. If, you, if you're wandering in life in blindness, saying there must be something more, Christ says there is something more, and I want to give you the ability to see that something more. I want to give you the light of the world. But do not tarry because this is a limited time. There's a limited time in, much in which we can possibly receive this. Night is coming. It is coming. And so, so do not hesitate. Do not wait. Engage today. Throw yourself on his mercy today. Engage in his grace today. Receive that grace today. Know him today, as Spurgeon once said. To live another hour without Christ is to live in infinite peril. For in that hour you may die and pass beyond the realms of hope. This offer of Christ is an unbelievable offer of grace. He wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to transform you from the inside out. He wants to give you the light of the world. He wants to give you and extend you the light of the world. God loves you and wants to give you the light of the world. Do not tarry, for the night is coming when that light will be no more. Which brings us to verse 5. And Jesus says this in verse 5. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What does that mean? Does that mean that he's no longer the light of the world? Right? Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's ascended into heaven. He's no longer in the world. So therefore, he must no longer be the light of the world. Right? No, he's very much still the light of the world because he's still very much in the world. He's here and he's present. Now in this very hour, in this very room, he is very present. The fullness of Christ is present. The light of the world is here. Do you see it? It's all around. I see it. Jesus wants to do something in your life. He also wants to do something amazing with your life. If you want to flip there, you can. It'll be up on the screen. Matthew 5, verse 14. Matthew 5, verse 14. Matthew 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. Someday we'll preach a series on the Sermon on the Mount. But for, day, for today, we're just going to skim this piece of it. Matthew 5, verse 14 reads this way. Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A moment ago he says, I'm the light of the world. Now he says, you are the light of the world. How can this be? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. How can this be? We've been talking about the past four weeks that Jesus is the light of the world. He says in John 9 that he's the light of the world. 
But then he says in Matthew 5 that we are the light of the world. You see, if you are a follower of Christ here this morning, if you are here in the room and you, you've come to a saving relationship with him where he is your Lord, you don't just know him intellectually, you don't just follow him because you just do what your parents do. No, 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 you have given your life fully to him. Jesus has taken up residence inside of us. Just as one lights a lamp, he has placed the light of the world inside of every follower of Christ. The light of the world is in you. The light of the world is taking up residence inside of us. He says we light a lamp so it can give light to everybody who's in the house. He puts the light of the world in us so it can give light to everybody who is in the world. So that all might know his beauty and his glory and his majesty and his might and his grace. He's placed that in you. He's placed that in you. And that is what he's communicating to his disciples. He says the people who have the light of the world become the light of the world and they give the light of the world. People who have the light of the world become the light of the world, and they give the light of the world. Christ takes up residence in us, and he produces his great light in us and through us. The primary way, the primary way this great light comes into the life of another human being is through another human being who has received the light. Through another human being who has received the light. Through another human being who has received the light. Through another human being who has received the light. Through another human being who has received the light. This is how this works. Do you grasp it? If you're a follower of Jesus today, my guess is I'll be willing to wager it is because someone else extended that light to you, showed that light to you, illuminated it for you, and you received that light into you. You received Christ into you, and now you are to be one who extends that light to others so that all may see the glory and the grace of God. Jesus wants to use your life to produce light in someone else's life who right now is marked by the darkness of sin. And some of you might say, okay, okay, I'm tracking, I, I get it. Light of the world, Christ in me, hope of glory, okay. What does this have to do with Christmas? Like Christmas is like two days, Josh. Like what are we talking about? What does that have to do with Christmas? Over the past few weeks, we've lit the Advent candles and we've talked about Advent. We've talked about this unbelievable, sure and steadfast hope the author of Hebrews writes. Christ is a sure and steadfast hope. All other hopes cannot be sure and steadfast because hope in and of itself is not sure. That's why it's called hope. But the author of Hebrews says that Christ is a sure and steadfast hope. Complete and total peace, right? We talked about peace, the peace of Christ. This unbelievable peace that when, when we stand before Christ, there is no longer anything to fight for and there's no longer anything to worry about. There's no longer anything to be concerned about. We have complete and total peace before Christ, the ruler of all things. Complete and total joy, indestructible joy. Joy that is absolutely never-ending. All other joys are temporary and can be removed, stolen, taken away from us. But the joy of Christ is eternal and unending. That joy, let's talk about that. And this morning, an unfathomable love. The love of God for you. 
in spite of who you are, in spite of where, you, where, you, where you've been or what you've done, the love of God for you. So this hope and this peace and this joy and this love, where is that found that the essence of Christmas, all that we celebrate, all that we long for, all that we want to know, where is it found? If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, it's found in you. You are the light of the world. Christ has taken himself and he has placed himself in you. And so the best hope, the best chance that your friends and your neighbors and your family members have of ever experiencing those things is Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. The hope of glory is Christ in you. If you're not a follower of Christ here this morning, he wants to produce that in you. If you are a follower of Christ in you, if you are a follower of Christ this morning, he has produced that in you so that you might pass that on, so that you might be the lamp that gives light to everybody in the house. A few, uh, a few months ago, back in September, we began this thing called Praying for One. And the challenge was, the call was to, to, was to really two things. To, to identify one person in our life that we'd say, man, I'm going to pray for them every single day that they might know Christ. But then the second piece is this, that we would begin to pray every single day that God would give us one person that day to share the love of Christ with. God, would you give me one person today to share the love of Christ with? If I'm honest with you, when we first launched this, I was super excited. I did it every single day. I had amazing conversations. The person that I was praying for began to attend Flourishing Grace on a regular basis. Uh, and I began to engage in conversations with people that I had never met before about Christ. I began inviting them to Flourishing Grace. And over the past few months, it's faded. If I'm honest, it's faded for me. I begin to forget and those prayers have begun to slip. And those conversations have become less frequent. I want to challenge you this morning to re-engage. And to think about the idea and, the, and, and really the consequence of engaging in this. If Christ in us is the hope of glory, if, if this work that we have to do is finite, and there's only a small amount of time to do this unbelievable great work that's more purposeful, more beautiful than any other work that we could possibly do, we cannot let this slip. We must re-engage. So I want to challenge you in the next 24 hours to begin to fervently pray this prayer. God, would you give me one person to share the love of Christ with? When you came in this morning, somebody gave you, hopefully gave you an invite card to Christmas Eve. That is not for you, friends. That is not yours to keep. It's not yours to hold on to. If you didn't get one, there's, a, there's some more out there. You can grab them on your way out. Grab a few of them if you'd like. And what would it happen if we began to pray this prayer in the next 24 hours? God, would you give me one person to share the love of Christ with right now, today? As I do my last minute shopping, as I go to the office Christmas party, as I run around and do some few things, would you give me one person to share the love of Christ with today? And what if you extended that invite to someone? You said, man, what, what, what would you come with me? It's going to be fun. We're just going to sing Christmas candle, carols. We're going to light some candles. Talk about Jesus. And you know the gospel is going to be preached and proclaimed. We're going to talk about this great light that has come for those who are dwelling in dark, great darkness. What would happen? 
Num number one, number one, I'd say Christmas Eve here would be crazy. It's already going to be crazy, but it's going to be even crazier. If every person in this room took this call seriously, took the work that Christ has given us seriously. Friends, let, uh, let me just say this. If you don't take the work of the gospel seriously, you cannot be a follower of Jesus. He's given us one single work. The Lord of all things has given us one single work. If we take that seriously, this place tomorrow will be crazy. But more than that, friends, more, more than that, I believe that if God answers that prayer, if God is the one answering that prayer, and we are extending the light of the world to those who are dwelling in darkness, we will see transformation like we've never seen before. We'll see many people come to know Christ in this place. And the reality is, is that if everything that we've talked about is true, everything that we've said here is true, that, that all of who Christ is, the power and the glory and the might and the hope and the peace and the love of Christ is in us. The best chance that your friends or your neighbors or the random barista at Starbucks or waiter or waitress at the restaurant has, it's you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The gift that you've been given is meant to be given and given again and given again and given again. We must do the work of God because now, right now, it is day and night is coming. That deplorable, abysmal night is coming. Let us be a people who do the work of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning. I pray that you would stir and awaken in us an understanding of the gospel. The gospel is not simply that Christ has come and died and risen from the grave so that we might receive. No, as Calvin said, or as, as Augustine said, there's a time for receiving, and that time will come. But right now is a time for work, a time of doing. And so let us be a people who work the works of him who sent Christ. Let's be a people who work the works of God. Let's be a people who are engaged in the gospel work. I pray right now that you would give those in this room, that you'd give them boldness. And I pray that as we bow our heads with our eyes closed, that we would pray that prayer. God, would you give me one person in my life today to share the love of Christ with? Friends, I'm going to give you just a minute here where, where you are, where you're sitting, to pray that prayer. I want to ask you, who is the person in your life or who are the people in your life that you said, man, I'd give anything if they would come to know Christ? I would give anything if they would come to know Christ as their Savior and as King, as the ruler of all, would become the ruler of their heart.
Who are they? What are their names? What if we became a people who realize that the best hope they had is the light of the world? They need the light of the world, and the best hope that they have of receiving that light of the world is you. You are the light of the world. If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, you are the light of the world. And a world that's been darkened by sin is desperate for what you hold inside of you. Jesus, would you give us boldness? Would you give us strength? Would you give us urgency to be those who are sent by you to extend the gospel to a world that's been darkened by sin? Praise things in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.